This morning our scripture comes from Psalm 46. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it, and I'll be on the screen for you. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake in their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, good to be together this morning. And uh, special dispensation if you need a coffee today. It's over there. Feel free. Warm up. But we're, good. we're glad to be together. Particular uh, title of the message again today uh, is inspired by the annual release of the United Nations rating of uh, the best place to live in the world. And as we said last week, Norway has risen like cream to the top of the milk bucket eight years in a row uh, based on some of the criteria that the United Nations like, none none of it having to do with warm weather. But the question remains, where is the best place to live in God's economy? God has his people spread out all through the world. Some get to live in uh, exotic tropical zones. Others live in the frigid north. Uh, Some live in Egypt. And in Egypt, more Christians are being persecuted and martyred today than any place in the world. But it's not about climate and it's not about economy. It's about discovering the best place to live in God's heart and in his sovereign guidance. Last week, we focused on the third G uh, called growth and suggested that we uh, discover that the best place to live is the place of joy and celebration. That's the best place to live in the world. Wherever you're at in the world, if you have joy in your heart, you have peace in your heart, there's nothing better. When there's joy in our hearts produced by the Spirit of God, there's no better place to live. Geography always takes a a back seat to the presence of of joy. So this morning I picture myself in an air balloon, (laughs) although I've never been in an air balloon. Has anybody? A few people have been in an air balloon. I would like that experience on my bucket list, I think, before. 
but wouldn't it be the neatest experience to take your camera along with a telephoto lens and as you're drifting along taking pictures leaning over the basket wall not too far just leaning over and what an awesome view and so that's kind of what comes to mind we're drifting along and we have our camera ready for the next best place to live on the planet where is it and the place that comes into focus is quite conflicting for most of us the place is a contrast to where we live most of our lives it's called the place of unhurried living if you take a shot from a thousand feet up you see people who have slowed the pace for a time in their journey you take a picture of them in their rhythm of life and it's a unique place in the development of their spiritual lives it's a place actually where you really grow the place of unhurried living now do you feel the tension already because <laughs> you're looking at your life and we're feeling it this morning as Janelle alluded to with some of the complications this morning they all got ironed out uh, but you do feel it you do feel it inside of you this is the strangest thing which is personal for me uh, I love to take a vacation I'm sure like all of us but oftentimes when I come back from vacation I don't feel as refreshed and renewed as I might expect to oftentimes I feel a little bit distracted I feel a little bit distance like a gap has appeared in my relationship with God I mean what has happened in my in my spiritual life I just spent several days maybe a week maybe two relaxing why isn't my soul as joyful and peaceful as I would expect it to be it's not hard too hard to figure it out over the course of the week or the weeks due to travel due to change of routine I've gotten out of habit of doing certain things certain spiritual disciplines that are helpful for me and perhaps even necessary for me in my in in growing in my spiritual and Christian life and I know what I need to do I need to get back to the way things used to be I need to get back to the flow of the disciplines in my life you perhaps can relate no one illustrates the discipline of unhurried living better than Jesus himself when Jesus began his ministry he launched his ministry by spending do you remember 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness how to start your ministry I remember when Mark and I started our ministry in Ontario a long time ago we drove from the west to the east it seemed like 40 days and 40 nights to get across the country but it was really only four days and and part of four nights to get there and arrived on a Friday with the assignment of preaching twice on Sunday getting the house in order getting the U-Haul to Ottawa and getting back and uh, preached a couple times on Sunday I was exhausted before I started well here's how Jesus started his ministry then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry that's an incredible length of time but these days 
were days uh, giving great focus to the heart of his father. He was contending, Jesus was contending for the mission to which he was called. And the enemy knew it. So this was a time of unfathomable conflict. And Jesus drew on the strength and power of his father as he confirmed in those 40 days that he was willing to walk the road that his father had given him to walk. 40 days. You see, Jesus slowed the pace. You might start your ministry, your job, your mission at a blistering pace. He started ministry by slowing the pace, moving into unhurried mode as he engages ministry. He knows what it's going to take to be fruitful in his ministry. After a very full day of being with people and healing and encouraging and teaching, Mark chapter 2 brings us to a, another example of this place of unhurried living. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Almost like we're scolding you. You've been hiding on us. Notice how Jesus replies, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. Now, if you look at that, I don't know if Peter got the message, because it's subtle. Peter, I'm here, and you couldn't find me because I needed to be alone. I needed to slow the RPMs and be quiet before God to hear him and to be refocused and to be re-energized because the mission is now underway. We must go to other towns as well, is the implication. And we need to go in the power of God. If you want to keep on doing the ministry that God has called you to do, you must draw aside and be refueled. You must be with your Father, just as Jesus was. You can't go very far without being with your father. There are other instances when Jesus found some isolation. When he heard of the death of John the Baptist, he needed some time. When he was about to choose his disciples, he needed some time alone with the father. After he had been involved in healing a leper, he needed to be alone. This was a practice all through his ministry, and it culminated in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew exactly what he was facing in those final hours before the cross. He called upon his disciples to be strong and to pray and to stand with him. They were sleepy. It was late. They didn't have the same intensity that he was feeling. But Jesus withdrew, and he was alone with the Father. Listen to these words. He walked away about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, he, and he was in a, such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Why this place of unhurried living? 
Some call it solitude. Why do we need to have these places in our lives? Farmers will build what are called windbreaks on their farm property. My dad had many of them scattered around the farm. Just perhaps a lean-to, designed especially for the cattle. Maybe out in the pasture somewhere. The farmers know which way the wind blows, especially in the winter. And when the livestock are outside and it's minus 15 degrees below, it's good to have a windbreak for the, for the cattle. A place where they can get sheltered and make it through the cold night. And the place of unhurried living is a shelter for us. When the winds of adversity blow and life gets very hectic, it's nice to go to a shelter and get some perspective. If we don't take time for some unhurried living, we won't recognize the forces that are shaping us and molding us. It's like that frog that gets used to room temperature water. And if you just gradually heat it up, the frog will stay in the water and eventually will get boiled to death. The frog gets used to the environment. And that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Because most of the time we don't recognize the, the slow molding process that is taking place. But if you could observe what's happening to you over a period of five years, ten years, fifteen years, you might see how we have become inattentive to some important priorities because the howling winds are blowing from every side and we have just let some things slide. We've been busy. We've been occupied. We've been sidetracked. And we need a shelter. We have needed some perspective. But unhurried living is a place for us to re-examine who we are and where we are and perhaps what has become core principles in our lives. The temptation to hurry is all around us. Domino's Pizza puts it very well. We don't sell pizza. We sell delivery. And the message is, we'll have it to you in no time flat. Don't know how it tastes, but we'll get it to you fast. Fast food outlets are continuing to thrive these days because we're all in a hurry. The problem with being in a hurry is we miss some of the very important things of life. We begin to skim. We begin to gloss over some important stuff. We begin to miss some priorities. As Carl Jung, the psychiatrist, wrote, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. We have a hurry sickness today. And most of us know it's a tough one to combat. We argue in our minds, oh, you, well, just put yourself in my shoes. Just walk, walk with me for a mile and, and, and you'll, you'll appreciate what's going on in my life. I'm on a treadmill and someone seems to have the remote control and they keep speeding me up and I can't, I can't control it. And uh, to that I say, I know. I know. Honestly. My heart goes to you on the treadmill because it's frustrating and it's challenging and you'd like to draw back and you'd like to get off of that. That's why I guess we call it solitude and we call it a discipline because it takes an enormous amount of discipline to pull aside and to find a lean-to, to find a shelter, 
in the time of storm. And the hymn says it so well, the Lord's our rock in him we hide, a shelter in the time of storm. Secure whatever ill betide, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. The place of unhurried living is one of the best places in the world because in that place, we have some shelter, and therefore, we have some perspective. When you want to make a very important decision in life, you need perspective. You need to draw aside and have some shelter. I want to refer you to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 30, where it says the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught, then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said that because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. The apostles were pretty excited to see what God was doing in and through them. And wow, they, they all came back and they were so excited to debrief and to say how God had worked. But Jesus very quickly said to them, we need to pull aside and rest. There have been so many people that they really didn't have any time to even eat. So busy. <laughs> Does that remind you of the modern family? We don't even have time to eat together. We have to be here, we have to be there, we have to pick up Susie and get her here, we have to pick Johnny up and get him there and got to get back. And sometimes it's just reality. It's just the way it is. But when will we pull aside? When will we find the shelter? I have to tell you somewhat embarrassingly that I didn't get this very well when I was first starting off in ministry with a young family and probably still don't get it very well. I was in full flight going long and hard without pulling aside the rest. I would come home to Alberta from Ontario for two weeks vacation. And when you're starting in ministry, that's what you got, two weeks. And I would be asked to preach on Sundays and, sure, off and I would do it. I needed to rest. That's what that was for. And I didn't get it. I didn't understand. We're drawn to hurry. Why? It has a magnetic attraction. It feeds us. It gives us value. Hurry makes us feel important. It keeps the adrenaline flowing. It keeps us from feeling lonely. I'm too busy to feel lonely. It means we don't have to look too carefully at our personal lives. I'm too busy to do that. I used to think, oh, yeah. I used to think it, it would be fine to burn out for Jesus. I've come to see that's not what Jesus would want. He wants us to care for ourselves. He wants us to steward our time and, and our bodies as best we can, and our minds and our hearts. Hurrying, the sickness of hurrying. What a challenge to learn the discipline of the unhurried life. How? By trying to create some margin in life. Maybe it means organizing your week so that it's more evenly distributed. 
to avoid the pressure of the last minute? By slowing your pace in driving instead of weaving in and out? No one ever does that. But to get in the rhythm of the traffic flow, if it's a parking lot, you have some time. You have some time. To clear a fast from honking, put your horn under a vow of silence. <laughs> Eat your food slowly, no gulping. Tell God you're trusting Him to accomplish the workload that, that He has given to you and ask Him to help you be efficient with the time He has given. Find some way during the day when you can become quiet. The best time of your day according to your schedule. Become quiet. Slow it down. Be alone. Move away from people, from conversations, from noise. Take out the calendar and figure out some times in the weeks ahead when you can have some extended times of quietness, a retreat, a long walk, whatever it takes. One of the best places to live on the planet is the place of unhurried living. Ah, I feel rested already. Now, I'd like to add another place this morning. And I'll do it rather quickly. There's another place that's very attractive as we lean over the balcony of that air balloon and we take a snapshot of the landscape. And this is the place that's kind of connected where you meet God in His Word. The place where you actually meet God in His Word. Three summers ago, I spent a couple of weeks in Germany. Fred and Gisela, our wonderful friends, Gisela was the, my first secretary in Ontario, and they were actually here, as some of you remember, a couple summers ago. And uh, every morning, as I stayed at their place, before I was up, Fred had already gone down to the local bakery, the village, 6.30 in the morning, and he had purchased fresh rolls and fresh bagels and fresh croissants. And wow, did we have a German breakfast every morning. I was nearly in heaven. German custom. Morning bread from the bakery. But the great part of it, it was fresh. It was just out of the oven. There's a wonderful passage prominently displayed in John chapter 6 that talks about bread. John's comment, comments come after an interchange with the people who had gathered, some who were looking for another miracle, like Jesus had performed in the feeding of the 5,000. They said to Jesus, Okay, what miraculous sign then will you give so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And the history of the, of the story, I think, is familiar to us. The feeding of the children of Israel out in the wilderness after they left Egypt. You remember, they wandered for 40 years. And God provided for them every day. He gave them fresh bread every morning. Just like Fred, they'd get up, they'd go to the bakery, which was the immediate desert right around them, and they would pick it up. Fresh manna every morning although they came to be not as grateful for this manna as the years rolled on. Moses assured the people that God would provide for them. Every morning, you'll have fresh bread. And you couldn't rely on the leftovers from yesterday's meal. That was the key. 
You have to gather it fresh every day. I like the words of Wayne Cordero. He says, funny thing about fresh bread, fresh has a time limit. It's like a sweet, beautiful sunrise. You can't loiter and catch it later. Oh, yeah, I'll catch that later. No, it'll be gone. It's fresh for the moment. He writes, have you ever visited a town or church where a great revival once took place? Only now it's, it's little more than a musty old museum. And the life is gone. The excitement has vanished. The crowds have dwindled to a trickle. The, whole, the old place smells of old boards and mildewed carpets. The church that once dispensed fresh bread, now it's just another aging place. See, people love fresh bread. I love fresh bread. I started a new loaf this morning, Mark, when the old one was there because I knew it was fresh. It's fresh. You can check it when you go home. Fresh buns, fresh croissants. It's fresh back there today. It's fresh. Just purchased yesterday. I need fresh bread in my scrumptious, in my, my spiritual life. What I, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Where am I? Dial back here. What I collected a year ago doesn't make me passionate and excited today. I mean, you may not be able to tell it in my life right away if I have a freshness in my heart. But I know. I need fresh bread every day to be alive and to be vibrant. It's the bread of heaven. I know the bread, daily bread that our Lord gives. And I know my heart. And I know my heart has a default position. It will always go back to what it knows best. And what it knows best is selfishness and pride. Better than anything else, that's what my heart knows. And it often defaults there. I often say, what's in it for me? But day by day, feeding in the Word, I receive nourishment for my heart. So it's one of the best places in the world to live. I receive manna in, in the place of feeding. All the spiritual vitamins that I need. I receive strength for my weakness. I receive strength for my journey. I receive answers for my prayers and for my longings. I receive hope when I'm in despair. I receive joy for my ministry. One of the greatest encouragements in recent years for my life has been the book by Wayne Cordero called The Divine Mentor. Uh, we have a number of copies at the back. We put some out this morning. Uh, that book, that book is worth the read. It will challenge your life to discover that the best place in the world to meet God is through God's Word. And it, he has a way of saying it that connects with your heart. And he has a system to help us called the Life Journal. Many of us here at TCC adopted this organizational structure, and that's all it is, for the last number of years. And, and our spiritual growth has been vitally impacted. There are some Life Journals back there as well. They're incredibly helpful to help you organize your time when you meet with God through His Word. Uh, 
Ultimately, we come to recognize that meeting with God takes discipline. To carve out the kind of time needed to be in His Word and to meet God there. Find the the time that works for you. And you may have to claw and scratch like all of us to prioritize that time because it will be snatched away from you. You watch how it works. It gets snatched away from you unless you hold it and claim it as precious. That's why it's called a discipline. It is a discipline, but a discipline that brings you to the best place to live in the world. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. We live in a time when we've never had so much great abundance, and yet we're hungry. But there's a wonderful promise from Jesus, and that's when you come to him, you'll never go hungry. Fresh bread every morning. He's the bread of life. He completely satisfies. In a book entitled God's Psychiatry, Dr. Charles Allen tells this story. As World War II was closing, drawing to a close, the Allied armies gathered up many hungry orphans. They were, they were uh, placed in camps where they were well fed. Despite excellent care, they slept poorly. They seemed nervous and afraid. Finally, a, psycho- a psychologist came up with a solution. Each child was given a piece of bread to hold after he or she was put to bed. This particular piece of bread was just to be held, not eaten. The piece of bread produced wonderful results. The children went to bed knowing instinctively that they would have food to eat the next day. That guarantee gave the children a restful and contented sleep. You see, they had been deprived so long over those years that they couldn't release their fears. But the slice of bread was assuring. The best place in the world to live is the place where you can go to bed at night having the strong sense that you hold in your heart the bread of life. You can sleep securely knowing that the bread of heaven is in you and for you and you will never lack. He will always be there. He will give you security. He will satisfy your hunger. St. Augustine rightly observed that every single person has a God-shaped vacuum in his or her soul. We can attempt to fill that cavity with a host of other things, but nothing satiates our hunger for significance except Jesus and his word. You're familiar with the old saying, money can buy you a house, but not a home. Money can buy you an education, but not wisdom. Money can buy you a bed, but not restful sleep. Money can buy you influence, but not respect. It can buy you medicine, but not health. It can buy you a spouse, but not love. It can buy you quiet, but not tranquility. So Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Friends, there's nothing better than that. 
the best place to live in the world. A place called joy, a place of unhurried living, and a place where you meet God in his word.